Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. A mysterious nanny who secretly took over 100,000 photographs who were hidden in a storage lockers and discovered decades later is now considered among the 20th century's greatest photographers. Vivian Mayer's strange and riveting life and art are revealed through never-before-seen photographs, films, and interviews with dozens of those who thought they knew her. We're joined today by the co-directors and co-producers of the film, Finding Vivian Mayer. That would be John Malouf and Charlie Siskel. Welcome Hello. To f- Hi. Hi. Welcome to Film School. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank, thank you for being here. And uh, I wanted to first ask John uh, the basic story here behind uh, finding Vivian Mayer and how you discovered her and your decision to move forward in uh, sort of developing the negatives. Tell us a little bit about that backstory. Well, the whole reason I bought um, the box of negatives that I first bought was because I was. Um, I was trying to illustrate a history book that I was that I published on my neighborhood in Chicago called Portage Park, and um, I needed more historic photos. And I, so I went to this auction house that I was hoping to find um, like family photo albums from you know a long time ago that would help me with some extra photos. Mm-hmm. And I found this box. I saw Chicago images in there, and um, so I bought them. Um, you know, none of them were old enough. <laughs> excuse me. None of them were old enough to illustrate my book. Mm-hmm. Actually, I co-authored the book, so our book. And so um, I put them in the closet. I finished the book. I took them out, you know, maybe a few months later. And I started to scan them in. And um, I started to take a liking to the photos. And over time, I took a, more of a liking to these images as I learned more about them and more about photography. And I started to buy the other boxes that were at that auction mm-hmm. reconstruct your archive and what what was the sort of the the tipping point and was it someone that saw them and looked at them and said these are something special or was it sort of uh, you in recognizing the intrinsic uh, beauty in these photographs how did that sort of tipping point work for you um i don't know if there was a real major tipping point because I decided to start putting this archive together before anybody even knew who she was. Mm-hmm. So I started to buy the other boxes because I just wanted to piece together her work because I liked the work. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess there was, there was another tipping point where um, I put the work on Flickr. Mm-hmm. I put a link to, I made a blog and I put a link to the work on Flickr on a, a street photography discussion group. And from there, it went viral. Mm-hmm. You know, then I had a lot of contact from press and everything. Um, so that was for her fame. That was a tipping point for, you know, people to basically. It, it, I was validated in my my hunch that it was good work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. And Charlie, at what point uh, were you approached by John, or how did you get involved in the in the making of a documentary about Vivian Mayer? Well, I had heard the story when the, there was initial coverage uh, of it, 
And um, so I read about it and saw uh, some local news pieces in Chicago like everyone else. Um, there were some magazine pieces as well. And um, I thought, wow, that's, you know, a great story. But um, I didn't at the time immediately think this, would, this is a great documentary. Um, John did, however, and even though he had never worked on uh, documentaries before, he started to shoot interviews. Um, I only learned that later when I got a phone call from uh, Jeff Garland. Um, Jeff is, a, is from Chicago. He's, you know, from, sec from uh, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, but uh, as, so he's a uh, well-known actor and comedian, but he's also a photography buff. And he had heard the stories as well, got in touch with John, and John was looking for um, a partner, someone to help, um, you know, make the film with him. And Jeff uh, reached out to me after talking to Michael Moore, my old boss, my mentor in, in film and TV, and um, and uh, Michael suggested that I uh, that I would be a good partner for John, and um, uh, and so did uh, and Jeff knew me from before that. Jeff and I had known each other, and Jeff said, "Oh, sure, I know Charlie." And and so um, he introduced us. And then when John and I started to work together, we started to talk about you know how to make the film and what you know uh, you know what some of the themes could be. We really hit it off and saw eye to eye on how how we could construct. Um, uh, construct the story, and of course, you know, it was an incredible gift not only to have Vivian's um, photographs, over 100,000 images to choose from to, to uh, tell the story visually, but then there were also uh, dozens and dozens of hours of Super 8 footage that mm -hmm. Vivian shot um, that we could use to piece together her story, and hours and hours of uh, uh, audio recordings that she made, um, almost, you know, little radio documentaries that Vivian uh, made herself. And uh, so we had audio uh, as well of, you know, of Vivian that we could use, all of which we ended up using in the film to try to construct an image of her and to tell, uh, you know, this incredible story. I want to talk about Vivian Mayer at some point in terms of her history and, and her background a bit. But, John, when you and Charlie were getting together, it sounds like you had already started a process of trying to track down the story behind her. How far along in that process were you? Because when did you sort of what instinct in you said, I've got these amazing amount of, I mean, just volume of photographs that you had. And did, at what point did you say, I have to know more about this person um, in this process? And where did it, was that about the time Charlie came in, or was it before that? So um, my first, my first um, call to a lead was in 2009. Mm. Uh, and uh, it was, you know, I, I found an address on her, her stuff, and I called uh, after I researched what the number was. And it was the family that she worked for um, as a nanny for a long time in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea who this person was, really. I just knew her name was Vivian Meyer. And I just said, you know, hey, you know, um, I have all the photographs and stuff of Vivian Meyer. I just want to know um, if you have anything. Was she your relative or, you know, what, what's the deal? And uh, their answer was that she was their nanny. And I was so intrigued by that. Mm -hmm. And the fact that what they said about her was so fascinating, um, 
and also that they didn't really know much about her past at all. And they, you know, they basically had her live in their home for from 1956 to 1971 or 1972, um, and they considered her like a mother, and they didn't know anything about her past. I thought this would be a really great documentary. Yeah. So that's when it was, you know, uh, started right there is when I started to collect evidence. And um, uh, it was, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, uh, so it was 2009, maybe a, maybe two years or something like that, just collecting evidence and doing tons of research. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, it, it, what, what's so interesting in, in your interviews with the families, uh, there were a number of families that she was a nanny for uh, that you talked to in the film. By the way, it's Finding uh, Vivian Meyer, and we're speaking with the co-directors and co-producers. That would be uh, John Maloof and uh, Charlie Siskel. But um, they had no idea of the extent of her fo- her obsession, and I think that's the, a good word to use, isn't it, uh, for photography. They didn't un- they didn't realize that she was even a photographer. Many of them, right? Right. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, you know, they they, uh, they knew that she had a camera on her neck at all times. Of mm-hmm. course, it's obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't know what she was really taking photos of outside of the photos that she took of the children. You know, mm-hmm. they just thought that, oh, she's going to take snap, snaps of, of the kids and stuff, um, whatever. Yeah. But they didn't know that she was taking um, a lot of time from her job to, to go walk the streets and, and make street photos. Yes. Yeah, there was, there was even someone who said at some point, oh, uh, you know, I wasn't even, I wasn't sure there was film in that camera. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, obviously there was, uh, and and again, she. How many families? I it sort of lost track of how many different families are in the film that that she was uh, a nanny to. So, do you want to know how many are in the film that we no, show, no, or how many in general that she worked? Just for? a general number. Is it four or five different families? Oh no, the... she worked for a lot of families. I would say probably a dozen. Yeah. Okay. Okay, and and it's interesting. And again, without I want the the viewer to discover this film, but. Her story, as little as they knew about her, certainly takes a, an arc. There's an arc to her life and to her story, and a lot of that is, has to do with John. You going to visit her, the place where she grew up, uh, finding out about her parents, her background. Um, there's a, there there are a lot of secrets in her past, and may explain why she was so secretive herself. Um, but it is interesting, this sort of dynamic, this uh, this interesting sort of insight into her that she didn't, uh, well, it's not that she didn't want to completely be anonymous, but she didn't make a, a, a tremendous effort to get her work out there. And it may have been resources, it may have been her own personality, but she wanted somebody to find them. Is that, is that a fair way to put uh, it? You know, who knows if she yeah. wanted to find them or not you know i mean at that age that she was in you know i don't know if she had that all thought out you know that oh, i'm gonna leave them here i'm gonna keep paying somebody's gonna find them and then i'm gonna be discovered mm-hmm. uh because she she didn't um give uh the, the people that bought her the apartment notice that her storage lockers are going into you know basically delinquent yeah. to be auctioned off for mm-hmm. repayment of what she owes mm-hmm. or else they could have kept paying for it Mm. But but uh, but you're you're right in in that um, you know uh, she she did preserve her work she did meticulously um, and at you know significant expense um, in in money and time um, she did 
do her own kind of archiving and um, and saving, obviously, of, of her work and preserved it, um, which is the opposite of destroying it. Um, if she really didn't want uh, her work ever to be seen, um, she certainly could have destroyed it. Um, yeah. so, so some, you know, I think some people have made a lot of this idea that uh, she was creating art for art's sake, and that um, it, uh, and that there's a, some some kind of purity in never showing your work to an audience and having it, you know, tainted. Um, but I I don't know that um, I don't know that that's true, and I don't know that that's as uh, you know I don't know that that, that that's I know yeah. it's a romantic. Idea um, and a romantic story, but I think the reality may be even um, uh, maybe even a better story, which is that Vivian worked tirelessly in creating these incredible images and preserved them meticulously, but for various reasons, as you said, never quite figured it out or had the wherewithal to have them shared. She knew they were good, and she would have at, at least at one point in her life contemplated having them printed and having them seen by others, but tragically never made that happen during her lifetime. Um, I think that's every bit as, uh, you know, as heroic and, and, and as good a story as this kind of romantic idea that, that she somehow um, never wanted them to be seen. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, I'm intrigued by this notion. Again, another sort of hypothetical question, but had she been discovered in, you know, during some 10 years before she died, let's say. I wonder if that would have had, what kind of impact that would have had on her as a photographer. Did she, she seemed to relish this anonymity in, in that it allowed her the opportunity to be able to take pictures of people on the street. Although, in uh, thinking about it, maybe that doesn't really matter if you're known or not known. For, it doesn't impact your ability to, to take, take uh, pictures. But she... She, I guess she liked the life she was living. Is that a fair way to say this? She, because it gave her this opportunity? Uh, I think uh, so. I think that being completely um, independent, not having anybody, uh, you know, uh, to um, answer to in a way. You know, yeah. she, was, she was a nanny, but, you know, she, she had her place in the household and, um, and it was established, and there's you know nothing more that needs to be done. I mean, she does her 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 nannying duties, and then she could go take her photos. And I think if she had been discovered, I don't think she, you know at, at ten years before she died, as you say, is an example. I don't think that that would have been a good time for her to do that. Um, hmm. I don't I don't know. I yeah. mean, I think early on is when she was really you know eager to do it. What happened at that after that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, now, Charlie, you've had a chance to, I'm sure, look at m- many hundreds, if not thousands, of her uh, photos. Uh, well, that's just both a question for both of you. Did you see? Uh, is there a maturation in, in her in her work? Is there something striking about the the development of her as a photographer to your eye as you look through what she produced, um, or was she pretty consistent, Charlie? What, what did you think? Um, well, you know, John. John is obviously more, no. much, much more in tune with, um, with, with the work than I am. But just you know, my layperson's perspective on it is really that um, you know, Vivian had many different interests as a photographer. I think one of the things that's so wonderful about her work is that you don't have to be an expert in photography to appreciate um, her art. Um, I think anyone can look at 
her photos, and, and people are, and, that, and she has been discovered in that way um, by the public and really and appreciate it. But she was just, in terms of subject matter, interested in photographing so many uh, different compelling um, uh, you know, areas. Um, she was interested in, in women's fashion and, and, ar and architecture and, and, um, and uh, certainly in urban life. Um, she was uh, particularly drawn to social issues and issues of class and, and in particular, photographing um, sort of uh, the underbelly, sort of the more disenfranchised uh, people, um, uh, people who are living on, on the fringes. And you can see her real compassion for, um, for people in, in those photographs. Um, but in terms of how her style changed over time, I think um, just my understanding from John is that, you know, toward the end of her life, she started to experiment. I think she, you know, Vivian was a real artist in that she didn't want to do one thing and stick to one single style. I think she um, wanted to continue to evolve. So it's kind of interesting that towards the end of her life, um, you know, as John has told me, her, her work started to get more abstract. She had other ideas. John, I mean, obviously, uh, the same, I mean, basically the same question here. You obviously have an intimate, but I would also let our listeners know um, that you've authored, you're author of a book on her work called Vivian Mayer, Street Photographer. Um, but so, John, you're intimately aware, uh, familiar with her work. Is, is there a, was there an arc to her development as an artist? Yeah, you know, I think right when she started, she was very, um, she, was, she must have uh, educated herself to some degree, because she knew how to frame, she knew how to compose and light a scene, um, uh, a street photo. She knew how to ex expose her, um, her her negatives without using much uh, of a light meter. Mm -hmm. And so there had to have been some maybe self-training or something. I, I, I'm, I'm just thinking that that makes the most sense. Yeah. But as time went on, you know, in the 70s, you know, her 50s, her 50s and 60s work is like the most classic stuff you see. Yeah. In the 70s, she gets um, into more of a um, similar vein, but it starts to tear more into uh, newspapers, taking photos inside the garbage cans and garbage and abstraction. Then she switches the color in 1976 entirely, 35 millimeter color film. And at that point, um, she's still doing street photos, but there's also a mix of like, you know, abstract um, uh, graffiti art and, you know, peeling paint and garbage on the, on the site, but also very um, direct document, documentary style, like social and cultural issues happening, such as racism um, and, um, you know, civil rights stuff, uh, anti-abortion stuff, like all these things that she's seeing um, in, the, in the city. Um, so it changes, yeah. Yeah, it's just an amazing documentary. I, again, it was it, the film is uh, Finding uh, Vivian Mayer, and um, I, I, I just, uh, I'm again, I'm so drawn to the to the material that I've seen. Not only in the film, but I've looked at the other photographs that I've seen uh, uh, that she's uh, done, and it's just immediately human. Uh, that's the thing that I'm most drawn to when I see her work. She was able to draw out the humanity and the subjects of the people that she's she's photographing. Um, you're right about the composition and the and the, the it's just a it's a remarkable 
uh, discovery and a remarkable artist. And in, in closing, I just want to kind of frame this with her acceptance or lack thereof, and you talk a little bit about it in the film, is, is she gained a little more um, uh, stature within the uh, artistic world as a result of the last couple of years or the film yeah. or anything like that? Well, how's that going? I, I don't think the, the, the film has had an effect on that yet. It's still, it comes out on the 28th, so we'll see when you know it has its theatrical run, if, you know, mm -hmm. if that does anything. But uh, as far as the last couple of years, the um, just the spread of her uh, popularity and the press on her uh, has affected the way um, critics talk about her, and I think it's all good. Yeah, I, I think uh, you know, I think this is a story that um, that doesn't have its ending yet. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it, the, the end of this story, I think, may be that uh, cultural institutions like you know museums and and uh, who, who play a, a gatekeeping function um, will you know will grow to accept and include uh, Vivian's work in um, in the canon. And you know, hopefully, hopefully that um, hopefully that will happen. It didn't happen during um, during Vivian Meyer's lifetime, yeah. um, but it's it seems to be happening now, and that's thanks uh, to you know the the public reaction to her work, um, yeah. and you know the public has has embraced Vivian, and uh, and she didn't experience that. Um, but it, it's happening now, and um, and obviously that's because uh, that's because of Vivian's work, and and we've only played a small part in that, in just in getting her work out there. Well, you you certainly have played a part in it. I don't know. I would uh, I would say obviously, uh, John, because of what you you know the happenstance and the and the foresight you had to pursue this. You you are you should be thanked all the the, the photography uh, people who love photography uh, a big round of applause for to you for pursuing this because I and to your point about the gatekeepers uh, they they're not gonna they won't last long if they resist what is obviously the work of like I said great humanity uh, in foresight into the human condition and it sounds a little highfalutin but I, it is truly. I'm, it brings tears to my eyes. Some of the photographs that she had that you that you show in the film, and then there's one that's very funny to me, is the one with the the nun on the stretcher being pulled out. Of, looks like a restaurant or the sea, seafood. You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah in yeah. Canada. Yeah. Th that makes me laugh every time I look at it. I don't know why. I mean, there's just so much about her work that is so um, um, accessible and so relatable. So. I, I just I just loved it. I loved I loved the documentary. I thought you guys did a tremendous job with this. Uh, it just I just felt like I knew her a lot better. And for the unfortunate circumstances that I think she she lived in her life, that uh, you know it's a shame to hear about people who who go through the trauma that she apparently did, and but still come out of it on the other side as 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 being able to channel that into an artistic endeavor. And it's it's a tremendous work piece of work that you put together uh, in, in regard to her life. Well, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much for being here on Film School. Uh, as we've been speaking with John Maloof and Charlie Siskel, uh, co-director, co-producers of Finding Vivian Mayer. Thank you so much. Thank you.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.